This hour in sports radio is here. This is the greatest moment in my life. On the Big 550 KTRS. Team sports will keep you away from temptations like rock music. It's Sports Sunday, and it starts now. Oh, my goodness. Here's Brendan Weesey. Good Sunday morning, St. Louis. It is Sports Sunday on the Big 550 KTRS. I'm Brendan Weesey. Howard Morton produces on this glorious early spring Sunday morning. A ton to get to. Let's not waste any time. Let's jump right in. You heard it last night on the Big 550. Mizzou still winless in the SEC as they fall to Ole Miss 84-78. to But they made it close. Got it within one possession in the final few minutes after trailing by 19 at halftime. Shaced has scored 20 or every timeout since returning from injury. He had 27 last night. This guy deserves a better fate. But the Tigers now at only three guaranteed games left, including the SEC tournament next week in Nashville. More on this with Ben Fred, our Tiger Tales, coming up later on in the show. Don't look now. The Fighting Illini, these guys are a house of fire right now. The 13th-ranked team in the country beat Wisconsin 91-83. to Terrence Shannon, 23, but Marcus Damask with 31. Uh, sorry, Illini fans, I've got to do it. I think Illinois is going to the Final Four. I think they're that good. Uh, the, these guys are unbelievable. That's a desperate Wisconsin team. They beat in Madison yesterday. That's a tremendous win. I am super high on the Illini right now. Do not look now. Or, again, if you're an Illini fan, don't listen now because – could be the ultimate jinx but man do they look good how about the billikens 94 91 win over Rhode island 30 from gibson jimerson uh, larry hughes one of his best performances the sophomore had 17 four assists and just one turnover man billikens can score it much like mizzou they just can't play defense but uh, they've got four conference wins now and they've looked better in recent weeks and uh, they can certainly score some points sincere parker off the bench had 16 points in 16 minutes and there's the blues 3-1 winners over minnesota last night jordan bennington 22 saves jake neighbors reached his milestone goal number 20 on the year and head coach drew bannister afterwards said interim coach i should say i should say drew bannister it felt like a playoff game you know this for us right now and and for a lot of teams in our position it's every every point's important like it's it's do or die hockey right now it's playoff hockey uh these are meaningful games and you know for us tonight you know it's it's a step in the right direction um there was some some positive things that we can take from this game but we have to get on a roll here like we have to be ready to play more consistent when we go on the road because we have some good hockey teams in front of us and we're gonna have to be better yeah three won the final and a big road trip coming up now because we got basketball this week with arch madness so the blues always go out of town i think it's a five game trip and we'll learn uh everything else we probably need to know about this team are they in are they out trade deadline coming up as well uh five points out of that last playoff spot as we speak right now. With that all being said, let's jump in. Let's do our soccer wrap-up on this Sports Sunday morning. This This is the Soccer Wrap-Up. Brought to you by Royal Banks of Missouri and the Pitch Athletic Club and Tavern. Part of Sports Sunday on the Big 550 KTRS. 
Bill McDermott coming up with me next segment after St. Louis City SC. Get it done last night. Their most impressive game of the year so far. 2-0 over New York City FC. All sorts of opportunities. Another big game from Sam Adeneron. He scores a goal. Silio Pompeo scored the first. He was man of the match. He also assisted on Big Sam's goal. Um, just a, a fabulous atmosphere. Great performance. This finally felt like the kind of game we saw from City early last year through the middle of the season. Haven't seen much of this team uh, in, in a while, going all the way back to probably around July or August, maybe September of last year. Head coach Bradley Carnell talked about what this team's focus was after the disappointing loss to exit Champions Cup on Tuesday. You know, we committed a lot of time to off-the-field sort of training in terms of video scouting, um, you know, reflecting about, you know, uh, some past performances and, yeah, just trying to set things straight and, uh, you know, make a case for who we are and, and who we're not. Um, you know, credit to the guys, though, you know, being totally, you know, accountable, uh, responsible, um, and, and know that, yeah, there's something about this team that's special. Um, and I see the amount of uh, work these guys put in um, when, you, when you don't quite get to see everything. Um, I see the enjoyment as a group. I see the commitment togetherness as a group. Um, it was good to see the chip uh, on the display tonight, you know, um, similar to some performances of last season. There you go. He said it. This felt a lot more like last season, middle of last season, early last season. That's a good thing for St. Louis City SC. How about Silio Pompeo? And we talked to him before the season started. He mentioned, yeah, it's great when I come off the bench. But, man, I want to start. And, Celio, do you kind of feel like it's your chance to prove yourself all over again when you're in that first 11? Of course. Uh, when I have the chance to, to, to start, I want to do my best. I want to prove to everybody that I'm, I'm a star. I can play. I can help the team in many ways. And that's what I do. But even if I come from the bench, I just want to do my best, uh, put my energy out there. Uh, do my things in one v one, be aggressive, and yeah, and of course, of course, I'm always every day I'm trying to prove something. But it's not like uh, I'm trying to prove something for somebody, just for myself every day to to be better, to push push myself. And he, he's showing if he gets the opportunity, he will take advantage of it. I, I think that's that. I've really noticed that with with him going all the way back to last year in the playoffs. It was one of the bright spots was Celio and. He comes through big last night. And, and how about Big Sam? This guy's got two goals. He's hitting posts left and right. And I had I had this question for Big Sam after after the win. Sam, what's your usual reaction when you hit a post or a crossbar? Um it depends. If I was expecting to like if I was if I was at an angle where I was kind of like, okay, you know, it's kind of tough to score from here then I'm kind of like, uh, it is what it is. But if I'm expecting the ball to go in, then, yeah, I'm definitely shocked, definitely. Because, I, I mean, you've got some posts, but you've got some goals as well. I and mean, it feels like the goals are coming after the posts. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, I'm just happy that the one that uh, I shot today went in, you know, from that angle. You know, I'm just happy that it went in. So, because I know, I know Klaus would have been on top of me if I wouldn't have, if that, if that wouldn't have, if that wouldn't have went in. So, so I, it felt good to see that. It felt good to see that go in. He's he the guy's getting opportunities from everywhere. And what it, it felt like they were getting a, a lot of opportunities from distance 
aggressive from distance. Here's the coach. And so, I mean, tonight we hit the post twice and, you know, we always encourage our guys to finish off with final plays. Well, what does that mean? Is it the next pass? Is it the shot from distance? Is it the next runner who's overlapping, right? So uh, we give the guys freedom and flexibility to that, but we, we, we supply them with principles in the transition moments, um, whether they should stay on the ball, take the shot, and, and knowing that we have some set-piece weapons, um, if it gets deflected, then we can really assist, you know, put another uh, layer of pressure uh, on their back line. I feel like if if it's Big Sam from distance, let him shoot it. Let him unload. It's a missile. The left foot, a missile, putting it in the back of the net uh, to to score the final goal last night. And the back line, tremendous. Much more like we expect it to look. Tim Parker back in there. And Joakim Nielsen back in there. And he's had a an interesting run from preseason getting his green card to injuries, the the compressed schedule, a lot going on from him. And uh, Bradley Carnell impressed with what he saw from a guy that could be one of the best in the MLS. He's a warrior, right? So he battles through, he commits to the team every single day. He's got a great attitude. He's a leader, not just by actions, um, but also in and around the locker room with the younger players and you know, those are the things you don't get to see. But then to see him coming out on top like this tonight um, is, is an indication and a reflection of exactly why we, why we signed him, right? So he's had the stuttered, uh, or the stuttered uh, time with us, you know, and, uh, but finally get to see him a string of games, you know, getting him strong, getting him healthy, you know, and I feel that the curve is training in the right way for Joachim. So, you know, um, yeah, I think the medical guys have done an amazing job uh, to keep turning him around. Obviously, there was a you know slight setback last game, but then he knows his body. He's an experienced guy. He knows when he should you know play through something. He knows when he should uh, you know pull the plug on that one and 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 take himself out. So again, that's you know he has the experience under his belt and he chooses wisely for the team. He really does. He was um, he was impressive last night. And I I feel like if you've got a hel- healthy Nielsen. A lot of people are waiting to see what that looks like. We got a really good glimpse of it last night. Tremendous performance from City. First MLS win. They've got four points now in the MLS season. Both games at home. I think I thought that was critical last night. To make sure you get that home win. Get it now after this weird start of the season. You only have so many home games. You don't want to have a draw and a draw or a draw and a loss even. Uh, I, I, I think there probably was a little extra pressure to get it done last night, and they do it. We'll take a break. It's our soccer wrap-up on Sports Sunday. Bill McDermott, Mr. Soccer, with me next on the Big 550. Find out on Soccer Wrap-Up on Sports Sunday. Brought to you by Royal Banks of Missouri and the Pitch Athletic Club and Tavern. The Big 550 KTRS. Let's say good morning for the first time this season to Mr. Soccer, Bill McDermott. Bill, hello. How are you? Hi, Brendan. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for taking a few right. minutes, sir. This sure. uh, uh, this felt like last night for the first time in this early portion of the season. This felt like what this team and how this team played last year. Yeah, it's like well, early this, mid-season. Did you get that yeah, sense, Bill? Yeah. So, without any question, New York couldn't get out of town fast enough. They thought they were <laughs> playing against 15 people because every time they had the ball, there was no time for them. 
They didn't have much going forward anyway, Brendan, but this home team, this home appearance last night for City, this is the way that they've always wanted to play, and they've made no secret. We're going to press as much as possible. Make the other team play. Make the other team play. And that is precisely what they did and scored some really nice goals in the process. However, there is only one thing you have to be cautious about, Brendan. I know they're trying to get the ball back back as quickly as possible. So, you know, Bradley always talks about the uh, the uh, overall PPTA, you know, that uh, how many times the team touches the ball uh, before we, City, either tackle, intercept, or foul. However, as I was about to say, you've got to be wary of the fact of the fouls because you cannot, you cannot have three of your first 11 on a yellow card at halftime. That's not an acceptable scenario. And we, 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 there, there were a lot of yellow cards being handed out last night, Bill. And of course, mm-hmm. we still have the, we still have the replacement referees. Does, does on a night like last night, did that stand out? It might have printed because they were uh, very quick to the cards. Uh, it's a very, MLS since 1996 has always been a very, very physical league. And with the way that St. Louis City plays in particular, because as we just talked about, they're trying to get the ball back as quickly as possible, as high up the field as possible, so they have that shard of a distance to go. So they're going to be overly aggressive to try to get that ball and maybe the referee wasn't accustomed to the to the speed and the uh, the overall physical aspect of an MLS game. But nonetheless, uh, they played superbly. Uh, Sam Iditarant in the game, he was first of all scored a great goal and made a fabulous run, an absolutely fabulous run late in the game where he received just about at midfield at left midfield and took off on a run, a solo dash, a maze of his own making, gets a shot off. He was in top form. But I think one of the real things that helped the team last night was the fact that Durkin and Leuven in the middle of the field touched the ball so much more than they have in the past. I mean, I know we're very, very early in the overall league, but nonetheless, that's the way you want to play with this a real crisp attack and a coordinated, a really highly coordinated pressing system. So it all paid off for the home last night. I was wondering about combinations in the middle, Bill, with, with Durkin now on the club. Jabula Blome doesn't play last night, but I, I'm wondering what that perfect combination is. And I was excited to see what can Leuven and Durkin look mm-hmm. like playing mm-hmm. together. They gave us a good idea last night. Boy, did they ever, Brennan. Uh, it's an excellent point you bring up because Durkin, if indeed there was a wall in the field, he's going to run for it, through it for you uh, no matter what time of the game it is, from the opening center off or in the 90th minute. He's very active. He's accustomed, I believe, to playing a little bit deeper, maybe in front of the front four, but nonetheless, he's really electric in the middle of the field. And he does a lot of the work that Levin doesn't have to do leaving Lewin to find people early, quickly, with balls on the ground, behind people, and a continuous work on set pieces. So, Durkin reminds me of when Busquets was playing with Barcelona, and he did all the dirty work for Xavi and Iniesta, all of which was a plan to find Messi. 
So uh, I'd like the two of them uh, very much so in the center of the field. They're very complementary to each other because their styles are dramatically different. And you talked you talked about the run that Sam went on. I've noticed this uh, for a few matches in this early portion of the season. You wonder about fitness levels this early. Sam is showing off 60, 65th, 70th minute. He's got he's got yes. the ability to outrun the other team. His speed it plays deep into the match, and that matters. Well, very much so, Brendan. He's very quick on the turn. He's good with the ball at his feet. Uh, electrifying, as a matter of fact. That run he made, uh, I just talked about a moment ago, uh, that that's one of the reasons that you come to a game, to see somebody like that with uh, an electrifying pace late in the game, having no, no hesitancy to run at people. And that's exactly what he does. He's good in the air. He's good with the ball on the ground at his feet. He combines nicely, and he will work continually. Exactly what you want from a front runner. I, you know, I, I they, they talked in the press conference last night, Bill, and, and you mentioned this is exactly how you want the press to look. This is, you know, to a T, how you imagine it working in ideal scenarios. But they mentioned maybe at the end of the Champions Cup on Tuesday, maybe they weren't utilizing the press enough. Why would they? Why would they go through a match? not wanting to press as much as we know they want to do? Uh, perhaps just because of using different people, and they weren't all really – I hate this age-old adage, but nonetheless, maybe they weren't at this stage early in the season, not all on the same page together. In other words, when do I go? When do I stay? Uh, do I make him play now? Even he's just outside the tip of his own penalty area. Do I go? Do I chase? Do I run down? Other people are saying maybe I hold back a little bit. But nonetheless, I think one of the things uh, that really alters it or altered it last night, that's because they're playing a home game in front of over 22,000 people. And that's the way they want this environment to be continually, continually at uh, City Park. Do you feel like coming out of this, it was like four matches, 11 days, Bill. Now you're on the other side of it. The Champions Cup is over, and maybe I'm a little bummed out they don't have that to play for anymore, but now they have a chance to get into a routine. Does it it feel like they're in a good spot coming out of this where you get healthy, you get that routine, and now they can play like, again, like we saw them play so often through much of last season? Yeah, yeah, I think so, Brendan, because uh, they want you to be – uh, they want to be, excuse me, uh, more or less as advertised. And that's the, where they, the way they were last night. And you talk about not being in the champions, uh, the overall champions cup. However, Brendan, have you seen, have you ever seen a busier summer? The Euros, all of which, by the way, is leading up to the 2026 World Cup. The Copa America, the Champions League in the middle of the year, oh, from like July 25th to August 25th. Uh, Argentina playing friendlies. This is another thing that's going to have its effect on the league because is Messi, he says he is, is he going to still play for Argentina as they tried to defend their World Cup title? They have four friendlies, two of which are in March, two of which are in June, which directly conflict with Inter Miami's MLS schedule. Then, as I mentioned, you have Europa, which is uh, going to be a fabulous tournament this year. The Copa America, which gives everyone in the United States a chance to see the United States play against some very difficult competition. 
but so many things going on at one time in soccer in the United States. Because as a, in years past, in earlier years before this league was even around, but because the league is doing so many things to give exposure for the sport in the league, there's much, much more competition-wise going on with not just games in the United States, but literally around the world so that everybody's watching. And, and oh, by the way, if nothing else, uh, Champions League, again, starts up again this week. So if you want to watch soccer, you are in the right place. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt about it. We are here. We have arrived. And I, uh, another guy I wanted to mention real quick before we say goodbye, Bill, and uh, we talked about him here in our first segment, uh, Joachim Nielsen. Get him healthy. Get him into a routine as well. I thought last night was his, uh, I don't know about coming out party. He had some moments last year. But I'm excited to see what he looks like healthy. I thought last night was a glimpse. I think so, too, Brendan. And how many times have we said it on the show? Every team in the world wants a left-footed center back. It starts so quickly out of the backfield. He's very good with the ball on the ground at his feet. He finds people quickly. It's on the ground at their feet. Into the center circle, you can receive, turn, find somebody making a through run. If their other team's playing a real, real high line, he can send the ball over the top. Uh, he's very gifted defensively, knows where to stand positionally, obviously, and seems to be and looks like so far a very good one-on-one defender. But the thing I like the best is the quality of the ball that he gives you coming out of the backfield. It just looks so different when a left-footed player plays a ball to the backfield. Uh, case in point, Tim Ream never gives the ball away coming out of the backfield finds a midfielder on the ground at his feet. You can play a ball like that, like I said, right away. You can lay it off. You can dead it for someone to find somebody, an on-rushing midfielder or a, a through ball over the top for a winger. It's just a real joy to watch. And, uh, yeah, I agree with you. He's really positioning himself well in the overall first 11 for City. Bill, great to visit as always, sir. Great to visit after a win. I'll look forward to checking yeah, in yeah. Uh, throughout the season. Thanks so much, Bill. Okay, Brent. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon, Brennan. Bye now. That, that's Mr. Soccer, Bill McDermott. That's our soccer wrap-up. We'll step aside. We'll come back. Our Tiger Tales, Ben Fred, is with me next. So check this out. Tiger Tales is on the air. Schrader gets the same second level to the 30, to the 25, cuts between the hash marks. 15, 10, 5, house! A recap of the latest Mizzou Tigers football game. Here's Ben Fredrickson and Brendan Lisi on the Big 550. KTRS. Let's do some Tiger Tales on this Sports Sunday morning with with uh, Ben Fredrickson. I'm Brendan Weesey. Ben, good morning. Hey, good morning, man. Happy Sunday to you and everybody else out there, and hope folks are having a fine day. Let's start, Ben. Another, golly, just a another game, another loss for Mizzou basketball with just two regular season games remaining. Uh, just let's let's call the spade a spade here. We had talked the middle of the season that the offense had really started to scuffle a little bit. That's not necessarily the case right now. So we're looking for a silver lining. They're averaging about 72 or 73 points per game since Sean East came back a couple of weeks ago. East has scored 20 or more in all of those games. He had another tremendous performance last night in the loss to Ole Miss. East has just been a beast, yet the Tigers can't get over the uh, can't get over the hump here. You lose eighty four to seventy eight 
East goes for 27. He was 7 of 8 from inside the arc, 3 of 4 from outside the arc, 4 of 6 from the line, uh, free throw line. The only thing that you can complain about is he turned it over four times. But if you're going to handle the ball and take over as much as East does, that is going to happen. I Golly, this guy just deserves so much better, and it's it's just not going to happen. It It's going to be amazing to see him have some all-conference honors and this team maybe not win a game, but just two left, Ben, before that is ultimately decided. And uh, Last night they were down by 19 at the half and, and get it to within a possession in the final couple of minutes. So they follow the same script almost every single time out. And here's another one where they uh, end up losing, but give it a go. Man, I tell you what, I think if you ask Sean East when he showed up at Mizzou, if he would be averaging, you know, 20 plus points per game over the course of a conference season, he would probably have said, look, that's not really my game. I'm more of an assist guy. I want to facilitate. Well, he is the best scoring option on this team. And it's been during a, a, a frighteningly bad season in terms of results, it has been really incredible to watch him kind of transform his production. He's averaged, um, he scored 20 plus points in each of their last five games, um, 33 against Arkansas, 27 yesterday against Ole Miss. Um, it's not natural to him, but he's pretty good at it. And it just makes you wonder what kind of impact he could be making if this team was a little better better um, built to, to help him succeed at the highest level as a team. Um, it's fortunately not going to happen this year. And you nailed it, man. It's not lately the ability to score. They're coming up with, with, you know, 75 plus point performances. You would hope that's enough to get a win when you haven't won a single conference game, but they don't defend well enough to stop anybody. And I think that was really evident last night against Ole Miss, it's, you know, you've got some encouraging things going, better game for Aiden Shaw than we've seen for some time. Um, Nick Honor had some some key moments late, but every time Mizzou came up with an answer, Ole Miss just found another one. And when you can just attack the basket and be basically guaranteed either, either free throws or a, a relatively clean look at the bucket, um, those are really the alternatives if you're playing Mizzou right now, then you don't really get those other teams feeling a ton of pressure that makes them sweat because they feel pretty confident in their ability to to keep a lead and keep answering it every time the Tigers cut it close. And they're still, I mean, it's the offense isn't perfect. They go for a stretch no. in that first half where I think they, I had uh, was at soccer last night and it turned the game on in real time. I had turned it on and it had been watching for about 10 minutes and they had scored a point. So it's they they still go through these these slumps and if you just have average production during that run maybe you score 80 or 85 and maybe you win the ball game if you're the tigers and instead you score 78 you lose by six and you just you're not consistent enough it's it's funny i feel like if if this had still been the production around midway through the season we'd really feel confident about this team uh, maybe winning one but the long and the short of it is take away the games that Sean East missed this has been what Mizzou has done every single week they're agonizingly close so if if you're if your glass half full guy here Ben it's like man 
you might be one or two guys away. You really might have won, a, a, I don't know, maybe a half dozen games if Tanji or um, Grill hadn't gotten hurt. There's a, a lot of different paths to go to make yourself feel better if you're a Tiger fan. But you also say, uh, glass, half down, glass Half Empty guy says, how in the world is this team with this roster and with this player in Sean East and Tamar Bates as well, how is this team winless? Uh, that, that falls directly on the coach. You can't have those type of players and a guy that's just hungry like Sean East that finds a way to score. This little guy that's scoring more than 20 a game his last five times out, and you can't find a way to win one of them? That, that is on the coach. So, uh, like I said, a lot of different paths to go depending on if you're optimistic or pessimistic here, Ben. But uh, pessimism probably winning out here when you haven't won a game. And we're, we're seeing the type of uh, performances we see night in and night out that just it's, – it's like Groundhog Day because they look like the same most every single night out for the Tigers. I thought what uh, Ole Miss coach Chris Beard said after the game was really true. Um, he basically said he thought Sean East was one of the best players in the conference, which I think we both agree with. Yes. And he said, I've watched Mizzou play every game this year. And look, Dennis Gates and his team won't want to hear this. Mizzou fans won't want to hear it. I get it. But he said, they don't, there's no quit in this team. And yep, that's what, that's what's remarkable to me. And it's impressive that they haven't rolled over, that they haven't punted, that they haven't showed up and not tried. I mean, you give a team this many consecutive losses and it wouldn't surprise me to see them look flat. We see that happen across college basketball all season. And the fact that they haven't and they still haven't found a way to luck into a, a win, one win. It it's really, it, it's, it's confounding. I, I think it's look, the defense is a huge part of it. They don't. And we've gone through the problems a lot, so we don't need to keep rehashing them, but they have a toxic combination of faults this team does with this roster. They foul too much. They don't get fouled enough. They commit too many turnovers for how few they create. Um, and more importantly, they they just they don't have any sort of, of substantial kind of half-court defense and their three-point shooting. Well. I mean, we can go through it all in all, but at some point, you would just think that something would would click or another team would just have such a bad game that maybe it wouldn't matter. But it really – it hasn't been the case. And you look around college basketball and you go, okay, may, is this happening anywhere else? And it's really not. There's Entering yesterday's game, there were only four teams in Division One college basketball that have not won a single conference game. I mean, there are really bad teams out there and still on a, on a given night, they can find a way to luck into a win against a conference opponent. And the fact that this team hasn't, I think it speaks to, despite some impressive individual performances and despite a really, I think, admirable um, effort level, despite their circumstances, I, I think that's commendable. But in some ways, that almost becomes even more jarring then that you can't say, well, you can't really, you can't really you know, factor in the, the, the roster or the, the X's and O's or the game plan um, because the effort level is not there. It is there. I think it is there every night. And I think it speaks to the, to the talent gap and also some of the flaws and how this, 
this team plays. Um, maybe not individual plays, but how it was designed to play and how it can actually um, play. There's a big gap there in how Dennis Gates wants his teams to play and how this team can play. And I think that, to me, combined with some of the some of the the talent disparity, which in some ways, you know, some of that's been the injuries, but it's not everything. Um, that to me is the story of the season. And you can't say, well, halfway point they got there and they realized they were going to have a terrible season, so they they kind of let go of the string because they haven't done that. And while that's admirable, it, it underscores the point of it's it's more of a it's more of a harder thing to fix than getting guys to play hard because these guys are playing hard every night. Uh, you look at the box score, and I'd be excited to be like, Ant Robinson scored seven in fifteen minutes. Aiden Shaw thirteen and nine. He played thirty three, and Noah he was, Carter. He was he was better than we've seen in a long time. Yes. He and needs th- to learn how to make free throws though, because they might have won the game if he would have made two big ones. No, no question. Um, and Noah Carter sat. He played seven. I don't want to scapegoat Noah Carter, but it's just it's no. Time. He needs to sit. He needs to sit, and and it's just that's the reality of the situation for the young man. It's just. He has taken a step back this year. This I want to I want to see this combo that was out there last night play the rest of the year. Even Jesus Carolero Martin, who Gabe mentioned to us on Friday, I think he could still come back next year if he wanted to. He didn't score a point last night, Ben, but he only took th- two shots. He had uh, four assists, two blocks, and three steals. I'll take that line from Carolero Martin every single time if the rest of the guys are scoring and just somebody else make a stop. Um, it's so you got three more guaranteed games. What, what's going to, what's going to be the ending legacy. You could still find a way to go out on a high note. Uh, I, I feel like, um, uh, I'm, I'm pumping the tires here a little bit and, and, you know, jump back into the real world maybe is what I need to do, but you, you got a shot to go out on a high note. How do they finish this next week? Or do we just look at it and say mercifully end it down in Nashville in a week and a half, but um, I, I will say that I, I, I feel that the, the last couple of weeks uh, have been somewhat encouraging if you just look at the box score compared to where things were trending, where they truly looked like the worst team in the league a couple weeks back. Now at least they're showing that fight that they did, and I think East has been the difference, but I also think Gates has mixed up the roster enough to where things were really starting to get bland, there 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 are reasons to be somewhat optimistic. But you can really pump up that optimism with a couple of wins to close it out. Yeah, I think honestly, like being a, a realist, it's it's got to be LSU in the regular season, yes, and then does, you know yeah. tournament settings can get weird. You might catch a team that's that's a little flat, but uh, you know. I think that's what it's come down to. You got to take your shot against LSU because Auburn and Tennessee—they're they're in March mode. Um, Tennessee just had one of the more impressive wins in college basketball this season, beating Alabama uh, yesterday, coming back from from a game that looked like it was getting out of hand. And um, I think they're they're really on playing on a higher level. So I don't see them stumbling. Auburn has been so tough uh, this season. And really thumping teams by quite a bit. They're 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 they they can do some things that's going to be hard for Missouri to match yeah. up against. Yep. Um, it's it's got to be LSU, and then you know see see if you can kind of almost use the SEC tournament as a refresh as a as a restart in some ways. But I'm with you. Is you know I want to continue to see these these younger guys who have a chance to come back continue to to get these opportunities. You got nothing, literally nothing to lose. And, uh, you know, I think it's smart that 
Gates has trended away from Carter a little bit. He doesn't need to have a redemption game. Um, you just need to you just need to play the guys who you think might be able to help you next year. And it's unfortunate, but that's the reality. And you might get something might get something out of it. But uh, you know, I I feel I don't want to I feel bad because and I, I I think Gates has made a good point of like he appreciates the people who are showing up to support this team, and he appreciates these guys bringing the fight and. Look, I've called out Mizzou teams that I felt like rolled over before. This team's not doing that. No, they have but not. At the end of the day, it's not about playing hard. Um, it's about winning. And this team somehow has is going to go down as one of – I mean, it's already got the, the, the program worst record for a losing streak. You, you just hope for the sake of these guys' legacy that they can that they can find something to feel good about before it's over. Ben, let's talk a little baseball while we have a few minutes left on this uh, Sunday morning. Cardinals offense, something I think we're both excited about this regular season. It's a little more than a week of spring training games, still a small sample size, but the bats are not going yet. Maybe this will uh, will reverse jinx them or something today and they'll go <laughs> off, but uh, the, only t- the only team this spring training that has not yet hit a home run, are we concerned yet? Well, it is true, um, and every other spring training team has hit at least two and some have played fewer games than the Cardinals. Um, the Miami Marlins, for example, who share the same spring training home for the Cardinals have hit two. Um, that's the other league low. And, and I point that out because they share a stadium that is known for having some wind effects that make hitting the ball out a little more difficult. Um, Roger Dean stadium can be a little bit of a wind vortex. And I always try to remind folks of that when we're, obsessing over spring power numbers um, but it is notable that uh, of all 30 teams in the major leagues during spring training um, there are some teams that a lot of teams that have double digit home run totals and the Cardinals are the only team that haven't hit one yet so I imagine that'll be a talking point this week um, I will point mostly probably to some of the some of the Roger Dean Stadium factors um, but the Cardinals so far as a team, their nine spring training games are averaging 234 with a 320 on base and a 307 slug. Meanwhile, the mighty Dodgers, they've got 16 homers and they're slugging 488 out in Arizona. Now, that's a great place to hit, but it they've is, got yeah. a different different kind of lineup, too. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to press pause on the concern level on this for right now. I actually am, am relatively encouraged about the uh, the state of this Cardinals offense as long as the guys uh, stay healthy. Um, I think with Jordan Walker, Lars Newtbar, um, if those guys, Nolan Gorman, I'm encouraged about what those guys can do and that they've got a little more experience under their belt. If we go another week or two weeks of games and that, that there hasn't been a ball that's been hit out of the ballpark, then maybe – maybe a little more uh, a little more concerned about some of the individuals in the lineup perhaps this is a legitimate concern of me every spring is that if guys get hot at spring training especially the last couple of weeks of spring training i feel like the odds of you leaving leaving that bat down in florida when you go north the odds are pretty high and you see it happen all the time the like the the minute you flip on the games for real. If you were hitting like 350 with four home runs in Grapefruit League games, that bat just disappears. 
game one of the regular season. So as long as these guys aren't striking out a bunch, as long as your approach at the plate is solid, I mean, these guys will know. Um, you'd like to see a few more home runs, no doubt about it. But if these guys show up day one of the regular season, you said it, if they're healthy, taken good at bats, uh, the offensive numbers will find them just fine. I think we do lose our minds a little bit uh, over spring training stats, and there'll probably be a guy over these next few weeks that starts to take off, whether it's on the mound or at the plate, and Ben will get really excited about whoever that guy is, and odds, unless that guy is like Goldschmidt or Arenado or somebody that's already established, um, we'll, we'll just fawn over them, and then they'll you know, reality will sink in once you go out to Los Angeles. So I, I, I will, um, I, I'm with you. No, no need to overreact. And, and that's what I, that's what I do honestly try to do. Um, as somebody that used to play fantasy baseball all the time and fall in love with five to seven to 10 guys that did great in spring training and then, uh, watch the, uh, regular season edition of those guys take over, a few weeks later just let this play out um there are uh, there are a lot of young guys and you, you, those guys you just you want to see them and their routine and their approaches stay even keel and that is the the, the only byproduct Ben that you, you get worried about if you struggle during spring training is if a lack of confidence starts to seep in and that carries over to the regular season that is also a possibility and that's something that I i that I genuinely would be concerned about if it's um, if it starts to become a problem. Yeah, and I think the 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 amount of veterans in this lineup and uh, the Cardinals have added quite a few veterans will kind of balance out any sort of you know potential panic factor from from spring training type results. Remember, these guys I think won the Grapefruit League last year, and look how that turned out. So um, <laughs> they're really individual performances matter a lot more, um, especially through the first 10 games, I'm a lot more interested in what the, like the starting pitchers do compared to some of the hitters. The Cardinals starters have looked okay. Kyle Gibson gave up two whoppers on his first two batters. That's going to get a lot of discussion. We'll see how these guys kind of settle through and make their, their next turns. I'm more pitching focused at this point now. And then we're, we'll, we'll start to, we'll start to get a better look at certain kind of individuals within the offense as they, as they play a few more games here. But I mean, I can remember, man, it was a couple of years ago, you know, everybody was, it was, it was one of the years that probably Colton Wong had his best offensive performance over the course of a regular season for the Cardinals. And he had kind of a lousy spring and people were concerned about it and came to find out that like Colton spent the first week of spring training, basically wanting to work on his, on his two strike approach and was getting himself into O2 counts in grapefruit league play. So he could, practice that in live settings like some of these guys are working on things or 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 basically watching pitches at this point so digging all digging into the team-wide offensive numbers at spring training is always risky especially this early so we'll uh we'll, we'll press pause on that but if we get to the end of spring training and they're one of the they're, they're dragging along as a lineup then we might we might have a little more uh, concern in our tone how about that is that fair it is fair and you, you you mentioned i forgot they had won the grapefruit league last year that's probably why i picked them to go to the world <laughs> series so stupid see <laughs> well l- l- reading into the spring training performance always risky but reading into a spring training of of 20 20- <laughs> 
23 where the bulk of the players were gone for the WBC um even even more risky this oh this is gosh. a more substantial spring yeah and, and I do think because of that looking at some of the results will be a little more fair but uh, we're not quite far enough in it yet for for those things to to mean a ton um but I am curious you mentioned some of the young guys uh, let's keep an eye specifically moving forward on two guys who I think are kind of boxed out right now you and I have talked a lot about Alec Burleson, who spent you know the majority of his time last season on the major league roster, it kind of looks like he's going to be slated to start in Memphis. Luke and Baker is another guy you got a taste last year, but doesn't really have a spot. I'm curious to see if those two guys respond to seeing the writing on the wall with performance. Can they can they have a loud spring that makes the Cardinals maybe wonder if they're leaving one of those hot bats behind? That's going to be something I'm watching when I go down there here within the next week. Yep, I'll be watching it too. And a concern of mine, for sure, certainly Burleson, who had, was on the big league roster all last season, would deserve a shot, If it, certainly if the spring training numbers are there. Ben, we got a short week coming up, at least from uh, our perspective together on the air. So I'll talk to you before Mizzou basketball on Tuesday night. Okay, man, sounds good. Hey, before I run, I wanted to point folks to an article. I got a column up at stlt.com. We talk a lot of Mizzou sports here on the Big 550. Um, fans of Mizzou for a long time will remember Mizzou great Andy Russell turned into a great Steelers linebacker, part of that Steel Curtain defense. I got to come up today. He passed away on Friday. Uh, looking back at his impact on Mizzou coming out of St. Louis at Ledoux and what he was able to do in the NFL. So didn't want folks to miss that. They can find that in today's paper and at stltoday.com. Great stuff. Uh, well worth the read. And Ben, we'll uh, look forward to chatting on Tuesday night. Sounds good, man. Talk to you then. That's Ben. I'm Brendan. That's our Sports Sunday here on the Big 550 KTRS. We'll see you back here tomorrow night, starting with the Kill Coin Conversation at 6 on the Big 550.